Open your Bibles with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. We're looking on a series on how Jesus made disciples. And in doing this, before we get to John chapter 1, verse 35, I want to show you something to think through the New Testament, especially the Gospels. Jesus had a ministry for three and a half years. And as he did that, I want to just share with you what I consider the idea of the stages of discipleship. It didn't all happen at one time. So what we find is we talk about this first stage of discipleship, which is called the curious disciple. And that's what we're going to talk about today, are this curious disciple. It's John chapter 1, and the invitation is real simple, just come and see. And one of the things to understand about disciples, the way the word is used in the New Testament is, a disciple can be somebody who's not a believer. Disciple just means somebody who's following someone else. It was actually used as a military term. If you can think of a military where the, uh, uh, the um, um, soldiers are marching in order and you're sort of aligned behind somebody else, that's where you're following. That's the whole picture here. You're just following someone else. It means you do something physically, but you're still thinking through spiritually in the New Testament. So being a curious disciple, you're following Jesus, but you've not made any major decisions yet about who he is and if you're really convinced that he is the Messiah and the one to believe in. So what we find in John chapter 1, that's the passage we'll have today, we are introduced to, Jesus is introduced to, we're going to find five disciples. What happens in John chapter 2, we're told they are his disciples. But it's not till after the wedding of Canaan that it says that they believed. Which tells me you can be called a disciple and not believe in Christ. That's why you read through the Gospels at times it'll say, and many disciples left him. Why? Because they're still processing through who he is and may not have made that decision of being convinced who he is. So when you see that number at the bottom, four months, what that means is it's four months to the next stage. Here's the next stage for the disciples. It's called the committed disciple. We find this when Jesus Christ gives the invitations to come and follow in Mark chapter 1. Now, you've read Mark chapter 1, and it should always surprise you this really happened. This is a story, Mark chapter 1, you're just starting the book. And the first time Jesus shows up on the scene, he shows up with Peter and Andrew, James and John, and he says to them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. They left their nets and went. Now, I don't know about you, that always bothered me. That the first time they met Jesus, I didn't do that. I don't know if you did that. Did you all give up your careers the first time you met? I didn't. Neither did they. They had been with Jesus for four months. They had watched him do the miracle of turning water into wine. Pretty convincing, isn't it? Yeah, that's how they got convinced of who Jesus was. So that's when he invited them as convinced followers of Jesus to now give up their nets and follow him. Well, our next passage shows up in Mark chapter 3, but it's 10 months later. So when you read your Bible, it doesn't always feel like, and the next day, and the next day. And it's not at the next day. There's a lot that happens. Now you may be wondering, Mike, how did you do this? There's a book you can buy called The Harmony of the Gospels. It takes all four Gospels. Each one gets a column, and they start recording everything that Matthew says, Mark, Luke, and John. Similar thing, you read them all. But when they have an individual story, they add it. And by doing that, you can start putting time frames by the Passovers that are in the Bible, there's either three or there's four Passovers identified, which gives you at least three and a half years, and you're able to put time frames on different events that take place. 
So it's taken him now four months to become and follow me convinced, but 10 more months till we get to Mark chapter 3. So now there's 10 months between Mark 1 and Mark 3, and now the invitation is come and be with me. Here's what happens. Jesus goes on the mountain, prays all night for the 12 disciples, and the invitation when he comes down off the mountain is he invites them to come and to be with him. Isn't that a great invitation? Have you thought of following Jesus as just being whew, with him? That's what following means. It's just you're with him. And he invites these 12 to stay and be with him for the next two years. So this invitation in Mark chapter 3, it's already 14 months into the ministry there. Have you ever thought when you're reading Mark chapter 3, Jesus has been ministering for over a year. They've known him for over a year before he gives them this invitation. Well, now we go another eight months. Now we come to Mark chapter 8. And now it's going to be the committed disciple because now he gives them a much stronger invitation. It's not just come and be with me. Now he says, take up your cross and follow me. And now the invitation becomes much more of this committed disciple who's going to follow just with his cross and maybe suffer like Jesus did. And I want you to hear here, there's a progression that is taking place of commitments deepening with Jesus Christ. They didn't all happen the first day or the second. It's down the road, there's this ongoing decision-making they're making of following Jesus. And what does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, then we move to John. We've got another year that takes place, and now we're in the final week of the life of Christ. And this is a communion disciple. This is where he says, abide with me in John 15. And now he's brought him all the way to the end. He's had him now for three and a half years. Now he's given this final instruction, his final instruction, I want you to abide, commune, just cultivate this relationship with me on an ongoing basis. And following that, there's going to be 40 days until we get to that great commission. And this is a commission disciple, go and make disciples. And this is Matthew 28, and it continues until the end of the age. Now what you want to see is there's this progress that takes place. Understand that disciple does not mean they're believers. It means they're following Christ until they do believe. And so we talk about Jesus making disciples. What we're identifying is for him to make the disciples who will be the ones who follow him, but it starts with them being just curious about who he is. So you have your Bibles open there? Mark chapter, I'm sorry, John chapter 1 starting at verse 35. Now what we're going to have here is we're going to have four scenes that take place. Jesus is going to talk to four, actually five people, but in four scenes. What I want you to see in each scene is who the person is, how Jesus talks to them, who they realize Jesus is, and what their need is. And what I want you to see is that each one is different, that somehow he talks to each one of them differently, and each one has a different need, and somehow Jesus knows that. So we start thinking about discipleship. It is not a cookie-cutter approach. It is not one way to do it for everyone. Somebody's just going to show us, look, you're different. So I have a different way of talking to you. You have different needs. I have different needs I'll meet. And you know me. And I'm a different kind of Savior for each and every one of you. Here's how it starts. Verse 35. 
The next day, John, this is John the Baptist, was standing with two of his disciples. He looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this. They followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. And as they did that, they came and they saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. Now, the 10th hour is about 4 o'clock in the afternoon, okay? Catch the scene? They were already disciples of John the Baptist. There's this religious guy they've been hanging out with. John the Baptist has been preaching everything, and John sees Jesus walk by. We're not sure how far away he is, but it's far enough away that he points and says, Behold the Lamb of God. And these two guys find themselves hearing that and immediately start to follow Jesus. As they start to follow Jesus, if you've ever done this, especially downtown Chicago, have you ever felt like there's somebody following you? You just have the feeling You just know there's somebody back, and you turn to look. That's exactly what happened here. Now, I I know you're all saying, wait a second, no, Mike. Jesus knew. He knows everything. He saw back. He still sensed it. He felt them. He only turned to look to them to see who was following. As he hears them following and all, it's understand what takes place here. They're following. There's this whole idea. They're following him. They're walking behind him. Why are they doing this? Do you remember what John called him? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin, the sin of the world. Wow. These are two guys who apparently really needed forgiveness. There's something in their life that forgiveness, forgiveness of sin attracted them to Jesus. That somehow their sins could be forgiven. They were drawn to Jesus just from that phrase. But the way Jesus treats them, he hears them behind him and he responds with questions. Here's what he says. What are you seeking? And that idea of seeking is what are you here to examine, to investigate? He understands these are curious men. If he's the Lamb of God, is he really the Lamb of God? And they come with curiosity. This curiosity, what's going on? And Jesus responds to them, asking them questions. What do you seek? They respond, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. And now this idea of seeing, you're going to come and visit with me. You're going to experience time with me. You're going to become aware of what's going on. You're going to be sensitive to what you hear and what I say. And the invitation is just to come and see. In a sense, to experience Christ of who he is. Enjoy this time over a cup of coffee. Enjoy this time at Starbucks with him. You'll have a good time and you will sense, you will sense who he is. But what are they looking for? What they heard he's going to offer is forgiveness, forgiveness of sins. Uh, These are curious disciples. We're told immediately who they are. We're told one is Andrew and the other one we're never told who it is. Now, for this guy who's never, who we're never told who he is, there's a guy through the whole book of John who we're told never who he is. And he ever never tells us who he is. But he also tells us he's there. He's there at this time. And one of the most interesting ones, that the, when they're sitting at the Lord's table, that, that final meal together, he refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. Now, it turns out this is probably John. And he's writing the book. And it's sort of anonymous. Where it could be, he's very humble and say, I don't want you to know this is me, but 
It's John and Andrew, and they are already following this religious leader, this religious leader who informs them of who it is, what they need to do and everything, and they find themselves following him. So as they come following Jesus, the next thing that happens is, verse 40, we read this. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So he's identified. Now we know it's Andrew. It's Simon Peter's brother. Andrew first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. And there are a whole different scene here. The first scene was, behold, the Lamb of God walks by, and they were just curious disciples. This one's entirely different. This is where a brother, a family member, comes along and introduces them to Jesus. He's going, you need to come and see Jesus. And when he does that invitation to his brother, invites him to come and see Jesus, it's interesting what he says. He says, we have found the Messiah. He didn't say the Lamb of God. He somehow knew that Peter was not looking for the Lamb of God. Peter was looking for what? A Messiah. The whole Testament talked about Messiah. Who's Messiah? Well, Messiah will come and serve, but Messiah will come and reign. Messiah will fulfill those Old Testament prophecies. Messiah is the anointed one, the one set apart by Yahweh. That's who he's waiting for. And that's who he knows. Andrew knows. That's what my brother wants to hear. We have found the Messiah. And all of a sudden, Peter's listening. And he's finding out it's the Messiah that you're talking about. Oh, this is somebody I want to come and hear from. So the conversation takes place. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Now, this is an interesting conversation. With the first two disciples, he asked them questions. Well, Simon Peter doesn't ask anything. He just makes very truthful statements to him. Opening truth statement. You are Simon. Yes, I am. I'm going to give you a new nickname. First time I've ever met you. I don't know. Well, he knows everything about him. But for Peter, he doesn't know anything about him. And he looks at him and he said, Cephas, you're going to be Peter. Now, he heard that right away. and was like, hmm, this is pretty good. But we need to understand what it means. It means rock. So for all of us who are older, this would be like nicknaming somebody Rocky. Okay? For all the younger people here, it's like calling him The Rock. You got me? Okay. Now we both know who we're talking about. That is who Jesus is talking about. I mean, is that significant? He's the rock. He's rocky. He's the fighter. He's the confident one. Here's the guy who he is. And the first time he meets him, it is this confident, this confident leader. You read through all the Gospels. Peter's the most, it's always Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John. Peter. It's not James, John, and Peter. Peter's always on the forefront. Oh, he's the one who denies him. He's also the one who took out his sword to defend him. Peter's the confident one. He's brought to Jesus by what? Family. By his own brother. And somehow family, family can bring us to Christ. Just like a religious leader, a pastor, some spiritual leader can bring us to Christ. Family can do the very same thing. It can be a spouse, it can be a brother, it can be a sister, it can be a child. 
It would be an aunt or an uncle, grandmother, grandfather. It would be somebody in the family. Family. Family can bring us to Christ. And somehow say, here he is. But to be a Peter, you're a little different than an Andrew. Andrew's a curious guy. Peter's confident. How do you talk to confident people? By asking them questions? No, Jesus is, just gives them truth. Your name is Simon. You'll be known as a rock. Gotcha. I mean, he just taps into who, who Peter is. And when you get somebody who's confident, confident people are looking for truth. They want to know they're doing the right thing. They want to know they're going in the right direction. They want to know they're obeying the right thing. And he talks to Peter just in that way. So the confident one, boy, he speaks with truth. To the curious one, he asks some questions. But then we've got a third one. Now we've got Philip who shows up, but he doesn't show up. Jesus shows up. Curious disciples, boy, they were introduced to Jesus by what? Somebody who was religious, somebody spiritual in their life. Peter is introduced to Jesus by a family friend or family introduced him. Philip is introduced to Jesus by Jesus. Here's how it unfolds. Verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. So now what we find out, he's from the same town. Doesn't say they're from, just saying, they're from the same town. Small town there, but they're from the same town. As he meets Philip, it says that Jesus found him. This is an interesting one now. Jesus coming along. Somehow sees Peter and walks up to, I mean, I'm sorry, Philip, walks up to Philip and actually finds Philip. And when he finds him, all he says to him is, follow me. And you know what Philip did? He followed him. Who in the world do you talk to in that way? Philip, when we find out in the rest of the New Testament, he shows up. He is our concrete pragmat, pragmatist. So they're the feeding of the 5,000. You're going to feed the 5,000. How are you going to do that? Philip is one who speaks up and says, well, Jesus, we have five loaves and we got two bread, or two fish. That's what we have. Now, that's pragmatism at, at the core, isn't it? You got to feed 5,000? Here's what we got. He's pragmatic. He's a concrete thinker. And that's how he is. And if you have a concrete thinker, Somebody of this way, what they want to know and get is direction. And that's not wrong. Understand what this is. At times, we just need direction. Tell me what I need to do. Just give me direction. Just tell me what I need to do. And Jesus' invitation is follow me. And that means you sort of align yourself to follow me. See what I do, what you hear and all, and you'll see who I am. But we're informed by Philip who he found when he found Jesus. Notice what he says when he goes to Nathanael. Next verse, 45. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now he tells us who it is. Who did Philip find when Jesus found him? He found the one that filled all Old Testament prophecies. 
He's the one that fulfilled the stuff in the law of Moses. What's that tell us about Philip? He knew the word of God. He knew what it said about the Messiah. He knew what it promised. He knew all those things about the Messiah. He knew everything it was going to say about Jesus. He knew the word of God. And all of a sudden when Jesus spoke to him, he somehow understood who he was and understood this guy fulfilled all the prophecies that are here. It wasn't just a concrete thing. It was the idea he understood the word and what it said. So that when the one who is of the word speaks, you respond immediately and you do what they say. And he was looking for direction in his life. But now when we get to Nathaniel, it seems to be Philip's friend. So we have those who come and find Jesus through those spiritual leaders in their life. We have those who find Jesus through family in their life. We have those who find Jesus just by Jesus finding them in their life. But now we have somebody who finds Jesus by a friend in their life. And here's what he says. He said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. So you get this invitation again of to come and see. Now, a couple things about Nathaniel. And it's the only place we find Nathaniel. However, when we go through the rest of the New Testament, the, the disciples are always listed. Actually, if you, pay, if you look closely, you'll see they're always listed almost in the exact same order. They're listed in triads. It's Peter, James, and John. They're always the first three. But the next three always stay in that order. And the next three stay in that order. And the last three stay in the order. The last one is always Judas of Iscariot. He's always the last one listed. But when you find Philip, the rest of the time, he's now going to be listed not as Nathaniel. The next guy is not Nathaniel. The next guy always listed is Bartholomew. And it appears, it appears that Nathaniel is also Bartholomew of one of the 12 disciples. And as he comes on board, as he comes in listening, as he's brought to Jesus by a friend, he responds a little differently as he hears this prophecy piece. His response is, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Why does he say that? We all know why he says that. It says that he's from the son of Joseph and he comes from Nazareth. And we all know he's not supposed to come from Nazareth. Where's Messiah supposed to come from? We sing about it all at Christmas time. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. That's where he's supposed to come. That's why Nathaniel says, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Why? He's not supposed to come from Nazareth. He's supposed to come from Bethlehem. How can he come from here if he's supposed to be from there? So Nathaniel's wrestling with these, and Nathaniel, the difference now, is asking the questions. Whereas with the curious disciple, Jesus is asking the questions, and now it gets reversed. This follower of Jesus is one who's going to be a follower. This is the one who's asking all the questions. This is the thinker. This is more than curiosity. This is a thinker. Like, how can this be true? If Bethlehem's where he's supposed to be born, how can he be from Nazareth? This doesn't make sense, and I need to reason this one out. So he's wrestling with this question. That's the question in his head. So here's how Jesus comes along. Verse 40, what are we at? 47. 
Jesus saw, and so understand what happened. Philip's invited him to come and see Jesus. So he's contact, Philip's contacted Nathaniel. Nathaniel's going to come to see Jesus. Verse 4 says, Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him. So he's walking towards him. And he said, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Man, that's an exclamation mark. When you hear behold, it's like, whoa, that's exclamation. You know when you text somebody and you want it to be important, you put an exclamation this is when you put the four exclamations after it, okay? That's what's happening. Behold, this is the exclamation statement on Jesus' part. Behold an Israelite in whom there is no deceit or no guile. What does that mean? Well, from Old Testament law, it be this. This is a righteous man. This is a follower of Yahweh. He knows the scriptures, but he's living righteously. And when Jesus looks at him, he's saying, this is a righteous man. This is a guy walking after Yahweh. This is a righteous man godly man that I'm speaking to. Oh, it catches Nathaniel, and Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, now catch this, before Philip called you, so he's somewhere, he said, before Philip called you, you were, you were under the fig tree, and I saw you. So here's the story. Jesus is in a distance. He meets Philip. Philip leaves there and goes and finds his friend Nathaniel. He's going to call his friend Nathaniel and tell him, you need to go see Jesus. But he's sitting under a fig tree when he meets him. He's under that fig tree. He's talking. He said, you need to go see Jesus. So he gets up to go see Jesus. When Nathaniel sees Jesus and they see each other from a distance, all of a sudden it all comes to play. And Jesus said, well, wait a second. That's not when I first saw you. It's not even when Philip called you. It's before Philip called you. I saw you sitting under that tree. From this distance... I saw you there before Philip even talked to you. This is Nathaniel. This is the thinker. He's starting putting some things together. How, how could you out there see me here? How could you out there know my heart in here? How could you do that? And he's hearing these words from Jesus with the questions he already has, trying to reason to himself what's going on, and Nathaniel responds, and here's another exclamation. Rabbi, teacher, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. He determines what he has just heard. Why? Because he has just seen something miraculous, unable to explain how it happened, that Jesus could see all the way here, and know his heart here before Philip even told him, called him, chatted with him about Jesus. And this cerebral thinker finds himself having questions answered about how Messiah could come from Nazareth and not Bethlehem. He's not sure how it happened, but he's where this is. This is the Son of God. This is the one from the Old Testament. This is the king of Israel. Jesus continues with him, though. He's not done. He's still answering questions. Jesus answered him. Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said, this is Jesus talking. Truly, truly, I say to you. Now, there's a problem with our English translation here. English, if I want to talk to one person, I say you. If I want to talk to all of you, I say you. But that's not how it's written in Greek. They're from the south. This actually should read, I saw y'all. 
Okay, that, that's what Jesus said to him. I saw you all, and you all. So what, he wants, what I want you to understand is when Jesus says this now, he's not just talking to Nathaniel. He's got Philip there, and he's actually speaking broader than that. He's saying, if you're going to be a follower of me, all of you, all of you are going to be able to see things that you're not prepared for. But what's going to happen is you will see heaven opened and the angel of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And he gives them that certainty, that promise of things. And he's dealing with a man who needs to be reasoned with when it comes to the gospel. So what we're finding here, we start talking about a follower of Jesus. This idea that we are followers of Jesus before we come to be convinced of who he is. There's this curious stage in our life. And in this process of this curiosity of who Jesus is, it's understand that Jesus is going to come to us in a personal, that invitation is going to be in a personal way for our, our spiritual need. Think about it. That for Jesus Christ wanting you to follow him, it's going to be in a personal way that he comes to you. And it's going to address your spiritual need. You know, some of us here, we really need forgiveness. Now, when we think about our life, we know all the things that we've done. We haven't even shared with the people here what we've done. We know the sins we've committed. We know the regrets we have. We know the people we've hurt. We know the changes should be made. We know the things that we've said. And we know we need forgiveness. We need forgiveness. And Jesus comes to you to meet that need of forgiveness. You know, some of us, we find ourselves, it's not forgiveness that we're looking for. It's the sense we actually just need some direction in our life. We find ourselves sitting here trying to figure out, what do I do next? Jesus, I've been here. I've listened. I don't know. Just tell me what to do. And we're looking for direction. And when you look back when you came to crisis, you understood a lot of stuff. I mean, you could have been able, you'd probably talk to people and say, well, I know Jesus died on the cross. I know he was raised again. I was born of a virgin. You're going to give us all the doctrine, but somehow it's not connected yet. Because you're like a Philip, and you just need direction. And the direction is believe. It sounds so simple, but believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. You need direction in your life. You know, some of you need truth. You know, you're like a Peter. You are confident. You want to do the right thing. You don't want to do wrong things. You're a little blurry about what the right thing is to do. You're uncertain about that, but you really need truth. Jesus, just tell me the truth. Is that what my word is for? And you need the truth to motivate you and what you need to do. You know, some of you, you know, some of you, you're just wrestling with questions that you have. And you're like, I can't ask these questions. If I ask the questions, they don't think I'm really interested. You are interested, but man, you need to resolve some issues in your mind. And you're reasoning with God. You're trying to say, Lord, just tell me what to do. And you're asking questions of Jesus. And you're reasoning through all this. And Jesus is saying, that is good. That's what I'm here for. And you're the cerebral thinker. 
And Jesus is inviting you in to come and see and get those questions answered. We're all somewhere in here. We all have a personal need that Jesus needs to meet. And when he extends that invitation to come and see, that curiosity to start with, it's supposed to end up with we finally are convinced and we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to think about your time when you came to Christ. And sometimes you're sort of embarrassed by your story. It's not as bad as Joe's. It's not as bad as Sally's. It's not as bad as Tom's. It's not as bad. And we go through all these. Mine isn't as bad. I was raised in a Christian home. I don't have it. You have an individual story where Christ somehow met your personal need, that spiritual need in your heart. And he spoke to you in a very personal way at your conversion and at your invitation. And you need to celebrate, celebrate what he's done that Jesus invited you to come and see. And after come and seeing, you were convinced of who he is. Why? Because he came in a personal way and he addressed your spiritual need and you were convinced of who he was and you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. You know the exciting thing for us folks too? If we were at that place, we're convinced and we have believed we have that same good news to take out to our family, to share with our friends, to take to our neighbors, and anybody else we see. And when we do it to know you, know, they're all different. They're going to respond differently. They have different needs. And we have a Jesus who meets all those needs and who respond to all those ways so that they can come and see who Jesus is and be convinced that they need a savior. That is good news. That is Jesus taking us through discipleship. That is us bringing disciples forward and for us to become convinced. I'm not sure where you are today, but if you're at that come and see stage, you've been examining things, you've been exploring things, you've been uncertain, you've been asking questions. Today may be the day you need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. We say, you're convinced. This is it. You're convinced. This is it. But if you're already convinced... Down the road, we'll talk about some other commitments. Maybe wrestling, are you really called to do something? Are you really wrestling commitment to take up your cross? Are you really working through the sense of abiding in Christ? Or do you find yourself being commissioned to share Christ with other people? We're all finding ourselves in this process, these stages of discipleship. And Jesus is bringing us forward with all those invitations. And we get to respond to those personal invitations to address our spiritual needs. Let's close in prayer. Lord, it's good to know of Jesus' love for people, to know that he speaks to us all individually and personally. He gives us new life in Christ as he talks to us, whether we're curious, whether we're confident, whether we're concrete, whether we're cerebral, to know that he'll speak to us with questions, he'll speak with us with truth, he'll speak with us commands, or he'll ask us with questions. 
and it'll give us exclamations of truth. Lord, whether we need forgiveness, whether we need truth, whether we need the promises of your word, or whether we need a king who rules our life, to know Jesus can do all those things and bring them forward. So we give our life to him to see how we can be those followers of Christ that you're calling us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.